Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Thank you, Ethan and Hannah, for leading us uh, in singing and worship. And if you guys have your Bibles tonight, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, we are going to be in tonight. And uh, if you don't have one, that's fine. As always, it will be on the screen, and I will do my absolute best to read it word for word. Well, maybe if you are like me, Uh, In any way, you have approached or come to a time in your life when you didn't know what to do. You didn't know who to go to. You have already talked to the people you normally talk to. You didn't know um, what decision to even start to make. You had multiple options, multiple options, maybe relationally, maybe career-wise. And the problem is... You are on a timetable. The clock is ticking. I have faced many times in my life an area or a decision that I had to make and time was pressing in and I absolutely had no idea what to do. No idea what to do. I had packed my suitcase and unpacked it multiple times. That is not a joke. I packed it, ready to go. I unpacked it. I'm not going. I'm going. I'm not going. And I didn't know what to do. I so overthought my decisions that I paralyzed myself. I thought, man, making no decision is better than making a decision. Or maybe you have said, I wish, I just wish someone else would make the decision for me. For the next four weeks, we are going to talk about this idea of the wonder years and about if you are in the wonder years that you have a decision to make, you have something in front of you or a path in front of you or multiple paths and you have literally no idea what to do because I remember what I felt and what I often feel is this and I'll say this to myself and I'll say this to God, I I have no idea what I'm doing. No idea what I'm doing. But I'm supposed to make a decision that is maybe career altering or it's altering on my family or it's altering on where I'm going to go or maybe for school it's thousands of dollars and the only decisions you've ever made are will you work at Chipotle or do landscaping? That's all you know. And you're like, I like it outside, it's hot. Like, yeah, I'll go. Maybe for you, decisions you've made have always been made for you, and you have zero, zero the capacity to understand what God wants you to do. This series, this series is for you if you have asked yourself this question, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to know what God wants when I can't discern his leading? Maybe you have tried to pray about it. You had those really spiritual people say, hey, just pray about it. Seek the Lord. What's that mean? You, you don't know what you're supposed to do. You've prayed. You've talked to wise counsel. You've talked to pastors and parents and other friends and your really wise 16-year-old sister. You have talked to people and you still don't know what to do. But you need to make a decision fast. 
We have done, as I've tried to think about this, I wanted it to be different. Two other decision series that we've done. If you can remember, last year, right around this time, we did Power is Perfected in Weakness. We talked about the Spirit, we talked about the Bible, we talked about prayer, and then, I wish we could have recorded it, we talked about when God talks to you. That's still, like, I go back, just looking at the notes. I, I needed that one. And it was when, how to discern when God talks to you. We have not done one, not done a series on decisions when you are almost, you're, you're kind of tapped out. You almost don't know what to do. You don't know what to say anymore. You don't know really if you should go this way or this way. And at the end of the day, you feel like God wants you to what? Flip the coin, catch it, do one of these, and you got to do heads or tails. Do I marry him? Is he cute? Has he got a lot of money? Yup, he, yeah, he don't want. So you, you're trying to decide, right? And for me, and just for me, I'm not going to talk about, uh, I guess I got to be careful here. Uh, there are times in my life that I feel like over the past five, 10 years, I can look back and I could really say, man, I could feel and hear and, and understand where God was leading me. I mean, clear as day, Pat, things just became so clear to me. And then once I became a pastor, other people, they were like coming to me, hey, what do you think God wants? What do you think God wants? And I was like, man, now I, can, I felt like I could see more clearly. Not that I was the voice of God, but it was like, hey, if you look at what's wisdom here, this one seems more clear, this one probably not the best, this one's probably best. It just became a lot more easier for me to discern, and here was the tricky part, other people's lives, but not my own. It was weird. The more that I started to help people, the more harder it was for me to discern, man, what is God telling me? Some of you are like, oh, I can't ask him no more. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying that for me, for me, it has been extremely difficult, maybe over the past three years, to really say, man, what is God telling me to do? What is he telling me to do, and where does he want me to be, and why does he want me to be somewhere? So what I have decided for this series, and what I've really prayed through, I mean, I, I have thought through this one maybe more uh, than any other one. I'm always, you, sometimes I'm excited about a series, sometimes like, ah, eh, it'll help them, maybe not. This one, I mean, I'm, I'm just like, it could just be me and Hope and Kinsley in the room, and I mean, we almost sent it just us at the house. So this one, I am really invested in. I just want to let you know. But here's what I'm not promising from the series, or even tonight. There is probably not going to be something I say, because pastors, we're really good at this. We'll say, hey, if you do this, then God will do this. If you do this, God will do this. We'll be like, read your Bible, he'll show up. You know, pray, he'll, he'll split the sea. You know, we'll, we'll do things like that. We'll say A plus B equals C. If you do this, God will have to do this. Well, in this series, it's gonna be a little bit tricky for me to ride the line because sometimes, sometimes, when we approach God, there are things that are, I don't want to say non-negotiables, right, when you approach him and how you should approach him. But we do not approach God to get what we want or to demand something from him. We approach God because we need him. And so as we talk about surrender tonight, some of you may want the, the five paths to surrender. We'll talk about the five at the end, but we'll talk about how to surrender to God, what it looks like. And there's always this weird thing um, that, and we're going to jump into Exodus 3 here in a second. There's always this weird thing when I talk to older people. They always just seem so much more godly, don't they? I don't know why. Like, they just, they, I see and I feel it. I'm like, how come, like, why Jesus talking to them? Like, I want to know. And it's almost like, have any of you, you do this all the time, you got to a location that you drove all the time. Maybe it was driving home from work or you drive home from here, 
and you don't remember how you got there? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, maybe I was on my phone. Like, you were on your phone. You don't remember turn signals. You don't remember cars. It was just so familiar, you knew the exact amount of time you needed to turn signal, stop light, red light, stop sign. You, you knew it was so familiar that it was just easy. And the more that I see older people who've walked with God for a certain period of time, they handle seasons of wilderness with this familiar sense that almost just seems effortless. They make it seem effortless. And I know a lot of it is projection and comparison, and we're not supposed to do that. I know that. But it's almost like me saying, man, I wish I knew how to handle seasons that I didn't know how to handle easy. I wish I knew how to do that because one thing that is weird, we'll talk about the wilderness tonight, the wilderness always feels like maybe it's a season of your life. You're in it, you're out of it, you got big decision to make here, big one here. But for me, and I think for a lot of Christians and people who follow Jesus, the wilderness seems more like home than it does not. Just like a place that you're there, it just seems like it's where you're at. Because when we're in the wilderness or we're in a season where we don't know where to go, we're wondering what we're supposed to do. It's, man, it's maybe for you right now, it's a relationship. Always has been for the past five years. Maybe, <laughs> that wasn't a jab. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's been your career. You're really pressed right now. You're wasting thousands of dollars in your mind. You don't know what to do. For some of you, it's career. And now you're in your career. You know, it's, it's church, it's family, it's this relationship. So really, my applications will be extremely broad for some of you. But in the sense of your, I'm going to really try and hone in here to your relationship with God and be extremely practical. So let's jump in. I'm going to read the whole story. Just pray for me as we go in Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to talk our way through this. Exodus 3 says this, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So a few things I just want to point here. Um, when Moses goes from the east side to the west side of the wilderness, like I was saying a little bit ago, the wilderness was his home. It was where he lived. The wilderness was not necessarily, he's in it, he's out of it. When you go from the east side to the west side in the mountain and in this wilderness, guess what? When you're in the desert on this side and you're in the desert on this side, where are you always? The desert. Yeah. yeah I mean, you got some math majors in here. Maybe like one plus one. Uh, and, and in Matthew 4, 1, it says this. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. I hate wilderness. I don't like it. It's dry. It's hot. I don't like anyone in there. It's just me and the sheep, and I'm just kind of like, I'm stuck. I feel like I'm walking. Have you ever tried to run in the sand for more than like five steps? Yeah. It's hot, right? There's, there's just nothing good about it, right? It's always like this weird thing that you can talk about with other people, and it is more I don't, know, I don't know why this word's in my head, majestic. It is more majestic to talk about the wilderness when it's a past thing, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it was just my wilderness season. I was really seeking God and the Lord did this. But when you're in it, it sucks, doesn't it? So here's what's important. Go back to verse one and two. What is Moses doing? Keeping the flock. 
He just, he's doing stuff. And if you are in the wilderness, and I am in the wilderness, I better be doing something. I better be doing something. Moses, while he is in the wilderness, he is doing something for God. And I'll be very clear throughout uh, this week and next week for sure. Your name, maybe it's, I don't know if you're listening or not, your name is not Moses. Someone's like, Moses, right? You, You are not Moses, and neither am I. But there are principles that Moses uses when in seasons that you and I have, that he has, and he goes to the same Yahweh that you and I have. The same one. The wilderness was his home. It was not a season. Go to verse three. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So uh, pretty, pretty cool thing. Literally a fire scene, right? He's got the, the bush on fire. I thought about trying to bring a bush and a gas can. I did that one time and it just got weird. Everyone's, everyone's scared, so I didn't bring the, the gas can. But anyway, th- this bush is burning, right? And it is not consumed. I don't know why, that's, why God decides to approach him that way, but that's what he decides to do. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, let's stop. What would you do to hear God say your name twice? What would you do? What would that be worth? For those of you in a season right now, you hate it, you don't like anything about it, you, you don't like this, you don't like anything you're in. What would you do for God to say, Mike, Mike, Say your name. And what's he say? Here I am. These are the type of people God approaches. We talk about surrender. We could have talked about Abraham. We could have talked about Isaac. You know we could talk about David. We could talk about all these other characters. Their response are these three words. He said, do not come near Take off, take your sandals off your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, the key to hear from God is to take your shoes off and to hide. Everyone take your shoes. No, I'm just uh, No, it's, it's not like this weird, you know, all right, everyone, this is what we could do. we like, take your shoes off, you know, hide your face from God. All they say, and then he'll show up, bam. No, that's, that's not the principle here. But when God, and I'm gonna talk about it in a second, but Moses, as he approaches God, he realizes where he is. He says, you are on holy ground. You can go back. And the God of, and Moses remembered the God of the past and it helped him in the present. When he says the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, man, when you, and, and here's why he's saying this. I'm not going to get into all the stories. For us, if you are in a wilderness season or you're in the wander years, how quick do you forget what God has done for you? How quick do you forget where God has brought you? How quick do you forget where God has led you? How quick do I forget what God has done for me? And when I'm in a wilderness season, what do I, who am I, who's the first person I blame? God. Why would you do this to me? Why did you allow this to me? And here's always my phrase, God, why is it so stinking hard? I just wish it was easy. 
I wish, I wish when God talks to us, I'm kind of going back here, when I send him a text, he would just reply. Like, why is it not that easy? I wish he would write it in the sky. Why, why does God have to seem to play hide and seek with me when I'm in the wilderness? I don't understand. If I was God, if you were God, what would you do? You'd make it so much easier, right? And so what we'll do when God is stretching us, when he is allowing to work in us, because often we think, you and I think when we're in the wilderness, that it is simply about getting out of a situation wherein God is trying to do something in you in the situation, right? He's trying to do something there. He doesn't just want you to stay where you are. He doesn't just want you to do this and then get you out because it's not about you and I getting out of the wilderness season. But God, God, he brings up that he is the God of the past and Moses reflects on that idea. And if I'm in the wilderness, I need to look back and say, God, help me to not forget. Help me but to remember Next slide. I don't even remember what verse I'm at. What am I at? Seven. Yeah, here we go. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. So here's what you need to remember. In this, in Exodus, going from Genesis into the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, the people of God are in slavery. They are under, a, under Pharaoh. They are not where God wants them to be. They are stuck in the wilderness, and they are not where they want to be. So God, what he is trying to do, he is trying to raise somebody up to lead these people out of the wilderness. And so he calls on this guy Moses. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know why the milk and honey is a thing, but that's the thing. Behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come, has come to me, and I've seen their, seen their oppression. Here's what's important. How many of you have felt like you've been in a season of oppression, you've cried out to God, and you're convinced he has not heard you? You have now decided that God does not hear prayers because he did not respond to yours immediately. Isn't that what I do in the wilderness? I'm like, well, might as well quit praying. He didn't answer. I pray, dear Lord, I pray that you would show up right now. Where he at? Like, you know, it's just, it's so impulsive. And what I like about this story is God is reminding Moses, I have heard their cry, and how is he going to answer their cry? By raising someone up. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Let's talk about this just for a second. When you're in the wilderness, when I'm in the wilderness, we often approach God because we want out, right? Which is legit. I, I think those are legit prayers. I pray those all the time. I come to God, God, this situation sucks. I don't like it. This is where I would like to be. I think I know where I should be. Why don't you just help me get there? Let's do it together. Me and you, one, two punch, like MJ and Scotty, come on. And when God decides to deliver me out of something, it is often not for me. It is often for something else or someone else, and it is often for him. You see, when God was using Moses to get the people of Israel out of slavery and out of oppression, it was so that they could worship him. And often, when we went out of our wilderness seasons, it's not so that we would worship God. 
it's so that we would just feel better. Or maybe it's just so that something would be easier or something would be more clear or because at 22, people should know what they're supposed to do. By 23, people get married. Come on. You should feel, and you're kind of making this deal with God of like, man, where I'm at, this is what's normal, so why is it not normal for me? Right? So you may feel like you are in the wander years. You are in the wilderness years. And you're going to God, and, and I do this all the time. It is for a selfish reason. Selfish motives. And God, because he is so good and gracious and merciful, he'll take my selfish reason and he can redeem it. And he'll say, I want to take what you have that is good and I want to use it for you and for other people. Go to verse 11. Moses said, who am I? Let's pause. (laughs) Moses, as he comes to God and God tells him, you're going to be the guy I need these people out of Israel. You're the one. I'm going to send you. What's he say? But you don't know who I am. I am. He brings, and here's what is, is crazy about Moses. And what, when you and I, when God finally will start to answer a prayer or start to do something, we will come up with ideas or things to make it not real or that we shouldn't be the one. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. You see, when God sends you to do something hard, it is not that it will become easy. It is that he will be with you because it's hard. It's not that now it's just you're out of the wilderness and bam, it just happens like nothing. Getting out of wilderness seasons or wandering seasons in your life don't disappear because you want them to disappear. They don't disappear because now you decided to bring God into the picture. When you bring God into the picture, he says, I'll go with you through it. Not that it will be absent. I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, shall serve God on this mountain. So the the thing that is going to be evident for these people is that they will worship God. Go to verse uh, 13, or I think it is. Uh, yeah. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God, and this is so good, because you and I, this is crazy how applicable this is. The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me. So here's, he's going to God. He said, hey, I'm going to go, and I'm going to tell them what you say. They're going to say, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And this is so good. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Who is I am? The Yahweh, that Jesus would show up. But what, what is so significant about the I am? I'm like, all right, I am, like sweet. Like, what, 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 cool, I am. Like, what do I gotta say? I am, Yahweh, literally means the God who is with you. The God who is beside you, that when you are in the wonder years or in the wilderness years and you feel, right, like he is absent, he is walking shoulder to shoulder. So he says to Moses, show up to Pharaoh, tell him, I am has sent me. And here's what is crazy. When God communicates to you and I, right, he does, throw, does so through his word, he does through people. Sometimes he presses us. Sometimes it's audible. No, I'm just, uh, you know, I mean, there's certain things that he'll tell us. And what do you and I often refer back to God? Well, what, are we, what am I going to say to them? 
why are other people often my response to obedience to God? Because they, right, they, whoever they are, impact my decision so much. Moses doesn't want to go to Pharaoh because of what they will say. You don't want to make this decision because of what they will say or your friends will say or your parents or Mima or Papa or whatever. Whoever they are for you, you're like, I don't know how I'm going to tell them. And God's like, really? Like that? That person has that much influence over your decision? God also said to Moses, say to the people, the Lord, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Go to the next slide. I'm going to come back to 17. Moses answered, but behold, they, here it is again. If you underline in your Bible, I mean, come on. They will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to Moses, what is that in your hand? Here is what is awesome about this story. Like I said, you and I are not Moses, um, Moses, this story is actually a picture of Moses saving the people of Israel out of slavery. And it's a picture of what Jesus will do when he saves you and I from our sin, slavery to sin. How he comes and delivers us from Satan and hell and our sin and he offers a way for freedom to us. But I believe that there are five principles that we can apply that Moses had or Moses did. And some of you are trying to figure out why we would talk about Moses when we talk about surrender. Right? Why don't we talk about Abraham? I mean, that guy with the, with the sword, the knife, and the wood, that, that, that was sweet. Right? He, I mean, he really surrendered. What about David? David, man, he surrendered. We'll talk about Paul. Some of you guys are like, who, is it friends? Who, who are these guys? These are Bible characters, right? You're like, what about Joseph? What about all these guys who actually surrendered? Because Moses, just like you and just like me, he surrenders with hesitation, convincing, and time. I mean, he goes back and forth with God. Some of you, we'll get in the story more next week. He goes back and forth with God multiple times. He's like, I can't. I mean, come on. I can't talk. I can't read. I mean, y'all know that. I can't write. I can't speak. What am I going to say? I mean, every time he goes to God, God, all right, you send me. I have nothing to say to these people. All right, I'm going to send someone with you. I can't walk. He, he's always going to go back. And this is what he says. He says he always goes back to what they, because they, when they have more power, this rhymes, than Yahweh, I just realized that, you become paralyzed, when the God who is with you does not have more power than they, you'll be stuck in the wilderness for a long time by yourself because they have power. What will they say? What will they think? What will they say about me when I'm not around? That's a driving factor, isn't it? You're like, I don't even know who they are. I don't even know what they're saying, but they're saying it. I don't even know what they think about what they're saying, but they say it. I know they, they sit at Starbucks, they talk about me, and I'm scared. What will they say? And so that drives us, doesn't it? So five quick things. I hope they will be quick. Um, if you're in the wonder years, number one, surrender in private. Again, none of these are absolutes, which is uh, hard for me to teach through. And none of these, there's some non-negotiables here, but if you are in the wonder years. It's a relationship, it's schooling, it's work, <clears throat> it's career, it's starting this, it's stopping this. 
and you have no idea what God is saying to you. You've tried to do the verse of the day. It was a rip. You tried to, to talk to someone. It was like talking to the wall when you're, my, you're like, I know my mom said it, I know. You've sought wise counsel and you're like, hey, I have no idea what to do. Nothing. And the clock is ticking. You feel pressed. Surrender in private. Moses, in his time with God, was surrendered in private. What does it look like to surrender in private? I don't know what it, I know what it doesn't look like. Because when, a lot of times we surrender in private, we're just like posting about it, we're telling everybody, yeah, just been surrendering a lot. Just been down on my knees, right? You're, you're almost compelling to other people that this is where you're at in life. But Moses, a lesson he teaches, I believe, is all throughout in the, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, when Jesus says, when you pray, what? Close the door, keep it between me and you, and surrender in private. Number two, surrender all that you're aware of. There's this weird thing, weird teaching goes around that people will say, until you surrender your entire life, you do not follow Christ. Well, the weird thing is, there's always stuff that God brings up that I haven't surrendered. It's weird. It's like stuff I didn't even know he knew about. Like weird stuff. I didn't even know he cared about. And he'll bring something up. I'm like, why do you care about that? Like, I mean, why is that a thing? And when God brings it up, I need to surrender all that I'm aware of. So when Moses surrendered in private, it was him, a bush, and God. I mean, I, some of you guys be out there with a bush tonight. You'd be out there with a light. You'd be like, all right, where's that sucker at? Like, you're trying to light this bush. You're like, you want God to show up that way. I don't know if that'll happen or not. If so, I mean, take a, take a picture. No, it's private. It's private. Um, you want to surrender in private, and you want to surrender all that you're aware of. When Moses starts to say they, 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 just like you and I, when we're called to surrender, we start to give ourselves an excuse to not surrender. So some of you are saying, okay, is it blind surrender or faith? Is it calculated, right? What about wisdom here, right? There's so many variables and things I could throw into the mix, but I wanna stay on this point of surrender because Moses, he fully surrenders all that he is aware of as he brings it up to God and God brings it back up to him. Throughout the whole story, Throughout, I think it's 18 chapters or 19 into 20 when he is saying, God, but what about this or what about this? And, he'll, and it's not that God is bothered by you saying, what about this or I can't do it because of this person or that person. God is not intimidated by that. He welcomes that. And sometimes you have to have it out with God. But when he brings it back up, all right, God, that too? Okay, that too. Number three, surrender your insecurities. Man, isn't that tough? You're like, I ain't secure. I ain't insecure. I'm secure as they come. I'm like a rock. Right? You, you, and, and all of us, I mean, I would say that the majority of us in this room, we have insecurities, right? There are certain things that God will bring up or that someone else will bring up that will make us feel just absolutely like the floor has fallen out from underneath us. We, there are Things that, and and as Moses brings this stuff up to God, he's like, but what are they going to say about this? Or what are they going to say about that? He is debating with God. And here's the cool thing about God. Even when you are very, very scared to talk or let other people know your insecurities, right? There's only like one person, your mom. Like she knows. 
She knows. You tell her, and that's it, and mom knows, but that's it. No one else knows your insecurities, right? God knows them, and he's cool with them. He knows. He knows how you got them. Like, he's like, yeah, I remember that conversation when you were in high school. I remember what happened with your dad. I remember when your mom did this. I remember when I told you to do this and it went bad for you. God knows your insecurities. He knows how you got them, and he's cool with it. He just wants them. He just wants them. He'll say, surrender those to me. Give me those. As he brings them up to Moses, God wants them back. Number four, surrender what's in your hand. It says in verse, or chapter four, verse two, and it wasn't on the screen, but if you finish verse two, he says, what's in his hand? It's a staff, right? I tried to bring a staff, couldn't find one, right? A big staff, Moses, you know what I'm talking about, the one with the C, and we'll talk about it next week, but he's got this staff, I'll find one next week. He's got this staff, this big thing, and he says, hey, what's in your hand? It's to, to for, for the, as a shepherd would have a staff to govern the sheep, he said, what's in your hand? And as he brings it up, and then later on, God does all this crazy stuff with it, right, and he's showing the snake, and he's doing all this weird stuff, which is actually kind of cool, but how is that applicable to you and to me? A lot of times when we approach God and we try to surrender to God, God will look at me and he'll be like, man, look what I gave you. Look at your talent. Look at your gifts. Because when you're in the wander years, you will always, always maximize what you don't have. I'm not as smart as them. I'm not as gifted as them. I ain't got the coin they got. I didn't invest like they did. I mean, I ain't got mom and dad giving me money like that. You got so, right? You have so much stuff that you will always, always focus on what you don't have. I don't have that. I couldn't go to this. I couldn't do that. And then you'll bring up past stuff. You'll always, always focus on what you don't have. You never realize what you have. And he says, look, look at what I gave you. Look at what I've, I've done. Look at all the things you do have. Because when you debate with God in the wonder years, he's not, he, he might not, right? I gotta be careful, dogmatic here. He might not give you more. He might just remind you of what you already have. Man, look at the people around you. Look at your godly friends. Look at the family I've given you to go to. Look at the, the people who are encouraging you. Look at the season that you are in right now. He'll say, what's in your hand? And sometimes, and you might not like this, but sometimes the only thing that might be in your hand is this right here. And you're like, a Bible? That's it? That long sucker? <laughs> like, I don't even know where to start. Sometimes I think, I mean, it's just right here. And he's like, you got, I mean, shoot, if Moses would have had, I mean, if these guys would have had a Bible, I don't know what would have happened, right? He's like, hey, just come and talk. Just come and talk. Just start something somewhere. What's in your hand? And when I surrender, or when you surrender, and I'm trying to surrender, we surrender, or we start to surrender, why? Because we want something from God, right? I make a deal with him, hey God, I'll lay down, give you my yes, I'll write a blank check with my life, it's got my name on it, Michael David 
Duma. There you go. You got it. Middle name. It's blank. All that I am. All that I hope to be. All my dreams. And it's empty with the price line. It's all yours, God. When I do that, I am hoping God writes back and says, ah, I just want like 20%. I'm like, I can give you 20. I can do 20. I like 20. Right? We'll make these deals with God. But we don't surrender to God to get something. We surrender to God because he's earned it. He has earned it. I surrender because I get to. He lets me. He lets you. You and I get to surrender regardless of outcome, regardless of season of my life. I get to lay down my yes and say, God, whatever this looks like, hell or high water, whatever you're calling me to, you have my yes. No matter what they say, no matter what my insecurities say, all that I'm aware of, even in private and even what's in my hand, you have it all. None of it is mine. All of it is yours. And that is the scariest, riskiest thing that you and I can do. Laying it down, giving it to God. That is what is difficult for me. Number five, if you are in the wonder years, surrender any certainty. Man, I hate this one. Like, I hate it. Like, even as tonight, I'm like, I hate that one. I am addicted to things that are certain. Right? I don't know. I mean, maybe just me. Maybe give me like a pinky or something. Like if you're out there. Yeah, pink, some pinkies. Yeah, I see the pinky. You like things that are certain. I want to know how much it's going to cost. Who is going to be there? Who is showing up? Who's not showing up? What are they going to say? What's this going to look? I want to know what it's going to look like. I mean, literally in any area of my life, whether we bought our house, we bought some cars. I mean, I mean with the baby. The whole nine. I want certainty in every area of of my life. Surrender is abandoning certainty. It is. It's letting go. It is open-handed to God. I am addicted to it. It is a false God I worship. The more I can hold tight onto something, the better I feel. I just feel good. I got it under control. I can control only myself, but in my mind, I have become delusional that I can control a ton of stuff. And it is delu- being delusional. I think it is. There was a pastor friend of mine who said, Michael, the only thing in the world, in the world you can control is yourself. Your attitude. Not, not one other person can you control. And you're like, yeah, but I can try. Some of you date and you're like, I got him on lock. Right? You you control, you want the certainty. In Exodus 3.17, this was the promise that God gave him. I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. So God gives our man Moses a promise. He tells him, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use you. He said, no, you're not. Yep, here's what you're going to say. No, I'm not. Here's where you're going to go. No, I'm not. Here's who you're going with. No, I'm not. And next thing you know, Moses is right in the midst. All along the way, he surrenders with hesitation. The very next thing that God brings up, he says yes. And I always go back to this every time we talk about these series or decision series. Would God be able to tell you what he needs to tell you 
if you would respond how he needs you to respond. The here I am, God. You have my life. If it means starting this or stopping this, ending this relationship or going here, saying no to this and yes to this, I promise I will bring you out. And it says in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus promises, lo and behold, I will be with you. There is safety. There is safety in surrender to the Savior. The reason, there are many reasons you and I don't like to surrender, right? I've probably talked about a few of them tonight. There are many reasons that we kind of hold on tight to the steering wheel. Um, There are other people, those factors, there's in my head, there's doubts. And a lot of times for me, where I feel probably in the last three years, 90% of the time, if I'm honest, I usually, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book. I usually tell you guys pretty much everything if you're here for the relationship series. Everything. Um, I, most of the time, can't discern what the heck's he saying. Is that him? Or is that me? Is that God? Or is that just people in my head? And when I go to God, I'm like, God, is that you or is that my friends? Is that you or is that just people? What, who is that, God? I can't discern. It's often in those moments I have to remind myself, I need to fully surrender. And sometimes I just got to quit talking to everybody. I got to get private. I got to make it private. I got to give them all that I have. Maybe I got to take my sandals off. I don't know. I got to get on my knees. I got to approach him, right? It's not the the taking off the sandals. Make sure I'm clear. It's a metaphor, right? You'd be fully surrendered to God when you take your sandals off. But, um, It's that I come to these moments, and like I said, if anyone in the world has earned your trust, it is God. It's not, even for some of you, you, some of you may trust a lot of people, some of you a few people, some of you nobody. There are certain people you trust, and once they break the trust, it's really hard to restore. The only reason some of you have believed that God has broken your trust is not because of a lack of what he has done, but probably a lack of what maybe you have done. The only reason God has proven his trust to me is where? In the cross of Jesus Christ. Some of you might be in the wilderness season, and it is a spiritual wilderness season because you have yet to lay down your yes to Christ. You've yet to submit to him. You've yet to follow him. So you are in the wander years, Spiritually, because he is calling you out because he wants to deliver you from your sin, just like this story. Some of you are in the wonder years because you've yet to surrender. Next, next week, we're going to talk about open and closed doors, how to discern, and then we're going to talk about Mary and Joseph because we got to, and it's Christmas, and we're going to talk about embracing difficulty. But tonight, I just want to focus in on surrender. What does God not have that you hold on to? What does he have? What does he not have of mine? All that I am, all that I hope to be, all of my dreams, my life for you, God, is a blank check. And I challenge you you tonight. Have you done that? Let me pray. God, we thank you for your grace. God, we thank you that um, 
we get to, sur- to surrender. You've earned our trust. You have earned any commitment that we lay down to you. God, I'm thankful in the Bible when it talks about followers of Jesus over 300 times, it says that we are called, chosen, forgiven, blessed, redeemed, pure, child, apple of your eye. And God, would you help us to live in that reality? So for those in this room tonight who are in the wonder years, God, they're, they're struggling legitimately. They feel like maybe they haven't heard you in a long time or maybe felt your leading or guiding. They feel like they're doing everything right. They're praying about it. They're in the Bible. They're approaching godly wisdom. And they just cannot, for the life of them, discern what you want. God, I pray that you would comfort them right now. Holy Spirit, would you do what you do? And if that is you right now, would you just slip up your hand? I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. You feel like you can't hear him, feels far, and you don't know where he is. Jesus, you said that if anyone would want to come after you, let him deny himself pick up his cross and follow you. And God, you deserve my surrender. You deserve it. You let me surrender. I get to. And God, even when I don't like it, even when I don't enjoy it, I pray that you would give me and anyone in this room the strength, the courage to be, number one, confident that it is your voice. Give us the assurance of things we cannot see. Increase our hope in you. Increase our faith in you. And God, would we approach you in the wonder years, in the wilderness, not to get something from you, but to simply be with you, to walk side by side with you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand as we sing one more song?